You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Hello there, I'm Sharon Noonan. You're very welcome to the second helping show of The Best Possible Taste, when you get the chance to hear again some previously aired interviews. And on this programme, we're going to hear what... Food and Wine magazine restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley thought of Cafe Salt in Kilkenny. Ruth Hegarty of Egg and Chick Projects discusses an article she wrote in December 2016 about food waste. And Georgina Campbell, head of Ireland's leading hospitality guide, has details about the Board Be It Just Ask initiative. Feel free to contact Best Possible Taste at any time by emailing me, s.noonan, at live.ie, or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. Now it's time for the first second helpings interview and it's with our resident restaurant reviewer, Rachel Keeley. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, you're welcome to the studio this evening. Thanks, Sharon. It's great to be here. And tonight you've been somewhere that I don't think you've been to before on the show, and that's Kilkenny. Yes, yes. It's um, not some place that I travel to very often, uh, but I should because it's absolutely beautiful. Of course, There's some fantastic restaurants there. There are, without a doubt. Um, and I will definitely be scheduling a return trip to try and take uh, take advantage of those. This is a daytime trip only, so it was dipping in. I think I'm dipping out, unfortunately. And the place that you visited was called Cafe Sol, and whenever you said that to me I said is it Spanish tapas type place and you said no no possibly it might have started out that way but um, I'm definitely not getting that vibe from the uh, from the menu anymore it's um, it's certainly got you know quite a European feel to it um, and the, the menu would be it is quite broad ranging um, but I don't think it's something that um, is specifically Spanish I think it might have been a fish shop beforehand because there are shoals of fish on the wall. I, I spent a lot of my dinner trying to figure this out, but I, I neglected to ask somebody, so I should have done. Where in the, the city is it? It's on William Street, um, and it's quite distinctive because it has a very big, vivid, bright orange facade, so you can't possibly miss it if you're strolling through the lovely old medieval cobblestone streets. And what attracted you to it? Was it the orange facade or had you heard about it from somebody? I had heard about it on uh, social media. I kind of, I always keep an ear to the ground to see what's interesting and what's a little bit new and and worth visiting out there. Uh, And a lot of my I suppose the group that I would follow on Twitter had been mentioned Kilkenny and at the same time Cafe Sal often popped up uh, so I said I must schedule a trip there and my sister's hen party provided just that opportunity. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. So there was a gang of you by the signs of it? There were, now it was, it, we're, we're a little bit boring in my family, it was a tame uh, hen party, there was only about eight of us, the same as, as was on my hen, so there was no sort of like... 25 L-plated women trooping into it or anything like that but uh, we went the next morning so it was a good place for uh, a reviving feed because mm-hmm. Kilkenny is a bit of a stag hen oh without a doubt absolutely absolutely um, and you can kind of tell the city is used to that to a certain extent as well it's sort of geared for larger crowds um, in this particular restaurant as well there were quite a few bigger tables uh, but again they, they seem to handle it quite well they're very used to it you know well, tell us then about the menu and the sort of dishes that were on it. Um, well, we went uh, for brunch and the menu uh, was very, very attractive, actually. I, I liked it led with a quote from a gentleman called Guy Beringer, or Beringer. He said, brunch is cheerful, sociable and inciting. And uh, I have to say, so was the menu. I kind of wanted a lot of things on it. Uh, it's got a lot of different kind of mixtures of normal breakfast things like you know, eggs and sourdough toast and then the obligatory hipster favourites such as chorizo and avocado. And then there are also sort of more robust offerings like a pulled pork, pork bap and things like that. So for people who might have needed a bit more sustenance in the morning. Um, I actually went for a special from the Blackboard menu and that seems to change every day and always has something a little bit new and a little bit exciting. Uh, in this case, it was uh, rigatoni in a rich tomato base with uh, pesto and chorizo um, and chicken as well. So it was a big hearty, rich pasta dish. Substantial dish. And yet I finished it all, Sharon, which never happens. So <laughs> and you have none of the signs of a bread. So Thank you very thing. much. I'm glad to be on radio today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was very, very flavoursome, very, very fresh. Um, everything was, there was a subtlety woven through it that nothing was particularly strong, but all the flavours uh, worked together very, very well. The chorizo in particular just added that lovely shot of piquancy to, to the tomato sauce, which can sometimes need a little bit of elevation to it, you know. Uh, very, very nice meal, something I, I certainly enjoyed very much. And for eleven euro fifty, not terrible value either. And tell me then about what other dishes were ordered. If there was a gang of you, there must have been some other nice, interesting dishes there. 
There were, yes. So quite a few people had uh, salmon. Um, I know that they were enjoying that. And others then had sort of more traditional things like the burger and the pork bath. Um, one of my one of our guests, my cousin actually, ordered a vegetarian option, which was very unusual because none of us are even close to being vegetarian at all. Um, but she just said, you know what, it's something worth a try. So she chose the vegetable and nut roast. Um, which I hadn't tried either, so I was delighted that she ordered it and I could taste some. Um, it was sort of resembled a meatloaf, but obviously without the carnivorous element to it. Um, it was not the most beautiful-looking dish by any stretch of the imagination. It sort of looked like a big lump of clay, essentially. Um, and the kitchen had tried. They had covered it over with a lovely, vibrant salad, um, and they served it with uh, salsa as well, a lovely, vibrant, fresh salsa. So they did try to make it look a little bit pretty, but to be fair, it didn't matter once we tasted it. It was absolutely fantastic um, I could possibly even be a convert to looking down further in the menu and, and taking in vegetarian possibilities after this it was um, I had that lovely satisfying heft of a hearty roast but at the same time the rustic flavours of the soft vegetables and then this lovely kind of little gentle sweetness um, that went with it with the nuts as well it was a fantastic dish and something I really really enjoyed there's a cafe called Jam. I think they started in Kenmare and they have a place in Killarney and they used to have the cafe in Bally CD Garden Centre and they would have done a dish like that that I just loved, especially with a nice relish. Wow, yeah, okay. That's really interesting. Nice. Yeah. I must actually mark that down before I leave so that yeah, could be, that could be a lovely running. now. So that it's always good, I think, as well, whenever there is a big group like that, when you get somebody that's going to try something that you might not want to take the risk of trying yes. because you don't want to spoil your whole meal, but that you can get a little taste of. Absolutely, Sharon. Now, that morning we had had a fair amount of glasses of Prosecco the night before. I needed a proper hearty dish, but at the same time getting to taste something as somebody else's worked out well. And did you have to have a hair of the dog to go with it? Unfortunately, we had to drive back, so there was none of that happening. Uh, but they do have a really good cocktail list, actually. A lot of people around us were having mimosas and bellinis and all those things that uh, people who lived closer by could enjoy. Um, but we ordered a, a non-alcoholic cocktail, which was organic elderflower syrup, and then paired with just simply sparkling ballygowan. It was fantastic. Very, very refreshing. Very, very, um, I suppose, thirst-quenching as well. And uh, something a little bit elegant as well, better than just having tap water at the table. Nice. You yeah, know? Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> And dessert then? No dessert, yes, dessert. We did. We managed a dessert, uh, which between, we all dug. Between <laughs> which we all dug a spoon into. Um, I think we were sort of still feeling the, the sugar effects of the, all the Prosecco from the night before. So we split a chocolate brownie, dark chocolate. Um, it was very nice. Just that right side of bitter that, that is quite difficult to master, actually. Um, and then that taste was tempered with a sweet Belgian chocolate sauce and the obligatory creamy vanilla ice cream which worked beautifully with it um, and again that not terribly expensive 4 and quite a good sized portion Okay, so it all sounds like it's good value for, for money. Yeah, I mean, we spent 30, just over 30 euro on two main courses, two cordials and a dessert. Now, you know, we hadn't gone mad. There was no wine or beer or anything like that. But still, it, for the amount of food involved and for sort of leaving with very satisfying full tummies, certainly it was good value. Okay, so that's Cafe Saul in Kilkenny and the details are on your blog? They are, yeah, or mkeely.com. Super. Thanks for coming in tonight and we shall talk to you again soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to a second helping show of The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. This show is a collection of previously aired interviews and is available to listen to on The Best Possible Taste podcast, along with lots of other previously aired shows. And you'll find the podcast on my website, SharonNoonan.com. And you can also subscribe to Best Possible Taste free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Just before the break, we heard what food and wine magazine's Rachel Keeley thought of Cafe Saul in Kilkenny when she visited in 2016. Next up, we're reminded about an article penned by Ruth Hegarty, published in December 2016, that addressed food waste. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Ruth, thanks a million for joining us on the programme this evening. You wrote an article there before Christmas. How did fighting food waste become free PR and labour for supermarkets? It's quite evident from the article that this is something that you feel particularly passionate about. Yeah, I do. Um, thanks thanks for having me, Sharon. Um, yeah, I, I feel 
really strongly about it and um I have to say it was it was a tough article to to write um I wrote it for arc2020.eu that's where the the article can be found and um there's um an Irish uh, journalist Ollie Moore who who edits there and we had just kind of had a passing conversation about this a while back and he kind of came back to me and said look do you want to do you want to put those thoughts down and, and, and write a, a piece on it and um and it was it wasn't easy to do because it's it's a really really complicated um issue you know if it was an easy thing to solve food waste we would have solved it by now and it's um it's not easy to solve and it's 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 very difficult but i suppose in addition to that um what i was talking about in the article was um how a lot of food waste is now being channeled into into charities and um, into food banks. Um, and I suppose I was challenging that a bit, and that's not an easy thing to do because, of course, um, you know, it's hard to challenge something that is being done charitably and, you know, that, like, this food is, is being given to, to, to the needy, and so it's very, it is difficult to question that. And um, I so found it quite a difficult piece to write, but at the same time, it's something that I've been, thinking about for quite a while and um, really felt needed to be challenged. This time of year, and I seem to be bleating on a lot tonight about Christmas and because it's not that long over, and you can see a lot of the we- the, a lot of food waste is particularly evident at Christmas whenever we do overbuy and we do overspend and the fridges and the larders are stocked to the gills with food and a lot of the time it's it's not used and a lot of the time that food is there and it's been purchased because of the special offers that the supermarkets are are putting on and that's something that you highlight in your article. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the angle that I was kind of coming at and the question that I was asking around um, food waste and the different initiatives that um, have come along to kind of tackle food waste is, you know, how is this all ultimately affecting the farmer and, you know, the price that they're getting and and their survival? Um, and, you know, one of the things that we've seen, you know, when you, when you talk about Christmas and you're right, you know, it's the time that this issue often gets highlighted because food waste is a huge issue around Christmas. Um, you know, but year round, you know, we're wasting like across the globe 30% plus of food that is being produced is, is being wasted, is not being being consumed by by people um, and that just goes up um, over the Christmas period and one of the things that we've seen in recent years is, you know, a lot of the supermarkets like really heavily discounting, for example, fruit and veg um, and it's something that you know, the farming organisations have, have challenged and have spoken up about because, you know, obviously Christmas is just as important um, economically for our farmers as it is for any other business and they need to do well at that time of year as well um, and instead what's happening is that supermarkets are using those kind of products to you know as loss leaders to get people in the door um and it the 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 farmers are being forced to take extremely low prices um for those products um but the policy across the board and throughout the year in supermarkets is you know really just ordering as 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 much as they want pile it high sell it as cheap as cheap as they want discount it, um, you know, do your three for two offers or whatever the case may be and any hit that is taken on those discounts and on those prices is taken by the farmer. Um, and really at the end of the day, whether it's sold or not is not a huge concern to the supermarkets because they take very little risk in, in ordering it in the first place. I see in the article it says that there's a move in France to, to make it illegal for supermarkets to dispose of food. That's right. They've actually they've actually passed a law now in France um, to say that supermarkets will no longer be, um, be able to dispose of food that they will have to channel it into the charity sector. And while on the surface that that seems like a great initiative, and I know a lot of people here say, "Gosh, you know, why are we not doing the same thing here?" And you know, France is very progressive in terms of tackling tackling things like food waste and other environmental issues and they're 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 far far ahead of of our government and always have been um at the same time i would question you know the the long-term impact of something like that because you know you're you're still allowing supermarkets to continue with the same buying practices continue to to abuse farmers and pay them very low prices um and basically get rid of all of that waste for free under the guise of charity um so 
it's not really tackling food waste as a systemic issue within the food system, you know, which is what it is. It's, it's, it's totally integrated into the way that supermarkets function. And that kind of initiative really doesn't give them any incentive to change their ways. In fact, it helps them to just deal with the problem um, in a way that makes them look good while they continue to, uh, to make life extremely difficult for the people who are supplying them. Do you think it is up to the supermarket to change their policies or do consumers also have to educate themselves and be a bit more conscious about what's going on and the marketing ploys that supermarkets and other stores use to actually get them to buy food as well? Because we're talking here about supermarkets throwing out food, but there's also the consumer overbuying at times and throwing food out themselves at home. Absolutely. And yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, you know, consumers need to open up their eyes and realize that like supermarkets are not trying to do them any favors you know everything that a supermarket does is done in order to to increase its profits you know so they're they're not trying to help you as much as they market it that way they're not trying to help you with with their lower prices and and their discounts they're ultimately their goal is to try and get you to spend more money so you know we need to stop being naive and we need to open up our eyes absolutely to to what supermarkets are doing and we need to change the way that we are buying food and you know we need to be sensible and realize in the long run we're not saving any money by buying you know perishable items um in bigger quantities than we need just because they're they're being discounted or they're on a special offer having said that you know the supermarkets are very quick to kind of point out oh so much food is being wasted um you know, at consumer level in the home, that's where the biggest portion of food waste is happening. Um, and they're very quick to push that back onto consumers. They, you know, tell consumers to pay attention to the use-by dates and don't buy more than you need and all the rest of it. Um, but the fact of the matter is that the supermarkets have driven things to move in that way all the time. Like, they've driven um, us to buy more than we need and they have made us completely change our attitude to food. Um, and what's you know, what's really noticeable around food waste statistics and figures is it's the cheapest foods that are most wasted. Um, so, you know, across the world where it's about 30% of all food that's wasted, when you look at um, root vegetables and tubers, so potatoes, for example, which are very cheaply available in supermarkets, they're wasted at about 45%, which is absolutely scandalous. But people are much more likely to waste something that they get, that they buy cheaply. Cereals um, are also wasted in massive proportions, and of course fruit and vegetables are, are the other ones. Um, whereas when you get to the likes of meat and dairy products, that, that, that waste level goes, goes down a bit. But I mean, it's still, it's still 20% of all, all, all meat and dairy products in the world that's wasted. You have some very startling statistics there. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, as, and as I said in, in, in that piece I wrote, like, and everyone is appalled to hear those numbers. It's, it's an absolute crime that, that kind of food is being, is being wasted while people are going hungry. And so then this idea that we divert some of this, this food that would have been wasted into, into the charity sector and use it, um, you know, to feed those who are needy um, through feed banks and through community food schemes is is great on the surface. And you know, I absolutely welcome um, all. You know, that those charities do amazing work, and there's people out there who've shown great um, initiative and great innovation in coming up with these solutions to food waste and technology to support those solutions. Um, but the fact of the matter is that all we are doing with that is saying to supermarkets, continue to to operate the way you do, continue to to force down the prices with, with farmers and to order as much food as you want. And we will now, rather than lambasting you about throwing food into landfill, we'll let you give it away. It will cost you nothing. And in addition to that, you'll get some good PR and you can even say that you're contributing to um, your your environmental sustainability plans. So the scenario shouldn't be there. It should be stopped well before we get to that stage where they have produce to, to ship on to a good home, in inverted commas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the issues are well known around, around food poverty in the world and they are, you know, to do with food distribution and to do with people not having local access good food and you know they're they're really complicated entrenched problems that are not 
solved in any way in the long term by giving people um, food for free at, at food banks. Now, it is, you know, it's a short-term crisis solution for for those people and um but on the you know on the social side of things there's there's a lot of people who are really concerned about the fact that food banks are now becoming you know permanent fixtures in communities and their their people are being fed on an ongoing basis through food banks rather than this being used as you know an emergency intervention um so there's you know there's that concern as well from people who work in in the charitable and voluntary sector um but on the food side and that's the perspective i suppose that i would be coming from my concern is how this is is allowing food waste to become acceptable for supermarkets and then and the impact that that potentially has on the farmers when you go back the line through the supply system. I thought it was a very interesting point that you made in the article and you've you've mentioned about the best before and the use by dates and packages that it was supermarkets who pioneered this labelling and for somebody that comes from a fruit shop background to have a packet of apples or a bag of apples and it says like used by or best before on it to me is just ludicrous because you can see quite clearly when an apple is bad and when it's not bad and even if a part of it is bad you can still use the other or eat the other parts of it. Absolutely and I mean when you think about it it's it's, it's terribly clever isn't it that the people who are selling us the food are also um kind of telling us, oh gosh, you know, you better throw that away after a week and um, not risk eating it and go out and buy a new one, you know, rather than, you know, us having those those kind of, I suppose, instinctive almost skills that people have had over the years of being able to look at something or touch something or smell something and know that it was safe to eat. And that's become just the totally accepted practice now that, like, you absolutely do not consume something, you know, after the date that it says on the packet. And then there's all of that confusion with people around these kind of, you know, used by and best before and, you know, display dates and what all of those mean. And don't think for a second that that happened accidentally. I don't believe that it did at all. I think supermarkets knew exactly what they were doing when they moved in that direction. It's very startling the way just a couple of generations ago, how the shift can change so quickly that a couple of generations ago, there was more value put on food. There was more thought put into what meals were going to be served on each day of the week so that it was planned out better and that food was used up and it was bought with more thought in mind, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And, you know, ultimately, this is this is the, the fact that, you know, food, you know, people spend on food is 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 a lot less proportionally um, than than it used to be in the past. And um, food has just become a cheap commodity that people don't really worry too much about throwing it out because, you know, they don't feel that they've um, really parted with a whole lot of their hard earned money to get it. Um, but the fact of the matter is that you know, people could probably continue to buy, consumers could probably still continue to buy food um, around at the same cost as they're paying now um, and farmers could get a better proportion of that price if the supermarkets weren't making such huge profits. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mentioned there about, you know, my parents would have fruit shops and I can remember years ago the clementines at Christmas time, the boxes of them coming up into the house with like a black skin on them. And us looking at them and dad said, there's nothing wrong with them. They're perfectly good inside. And I was like, well, then sell them to your customers. And he was like, they won't buy them, but you can eat them. There's nothing wrong with them. And don't be looking for the ones with the pure orange bright skin because I can sell those. I can't sell these and there's nothing wrong with them. And the wonky veg and all of that. It's just, you know. Well, yeah, absolutely. And that's, I suppose that's another, you know, point where... You know, as I mentioned in that article, that you know, a lot of um, a lot of produce is wasted before it ever reaches the supermarket. Of course, and um, you know, the supermarkets are quick to point out that there's only a certain proportion of waste happening at supermarket level, and there's a lot happening, you know, post production or farm level, and so on. Um, but it's interesting to kind of think about how much of that is happening because of the standards that have been imposed by the supermarkets around, you know, shape, size, appearance 
of, you know, fruit and veg. I mean, it's kind of fascinating to look at fruit and veg in supermarkets and see how uniform they are for something that grows, you know, that <laughs> is, it should be a natural product that there should be quite a lot of variety in, but because they have this kind of standardization and these so-called quality requirements, which have very little to do with quality, you know, nothing to do with the, the nutritive quality or the taste of the product, but just make them a little bit easier to stock in the supermarket, I suppose, and make them look a little bit more attractive. So we've got a huge proportion of, of waste, you know, on, on farms just because they're not acceptable to the supermarkets in terms of those standards. And in the same vein as using food banks as a PR stunt, then there are some supermarkets starting to do this. Like we have the wonky veg. That's nearly like a marketing ploy in itself. Like here's the wonky veg section. And aren't we great for, for having that on our shelves? A very interesting article. Just remind the listeners now where they can they can look it up online if they want to read it in detail. Yeah, sure. It's on arc2020.eu or you'll find a link to it on the ARC2020 Facebook page as well. Okay, fantastic. Now, before you go, I want to ask you about Chef Network because that's something that you're very heavily involved in. How is it going for you? What are your plans with it for 2017? Yeah, thanks. It's going absolutely fantastically and um, I'm really excited about uh, 2017. Um, I'm trying to remember when we last spoke on it, but um, we've about 850 chefs on board now, so it's um, it's been growing fast and lots, lots of chefs getting involved with it. Um, so there is a big kind of industry event that takes place um, in February in the RDS called KTEX, um, from the 21st to the 23rd of February where we'll we'll have a, a big presence um, there talking about a lot of the kind of topics that I suppose have come up over the course of the year as we've been going around the country meeting chefs um, so things like how we're going to attract more people into careers in the industry, how we, how we make the industry a better place for people to work and how we nurture talent in the industry um, and so on and we've got a little bit of a partnership with Food on the Edge as well, who um, Chef Network came on board as a uh, supporter of last year. So we're going to kind of bring um, an element of Food on the Edge um, to the KTEX event as well in, in the Chef Network um, area and do some talks around the future of food. Um, so I think that will be really interesting. And then over the course of 2017, um, we've kind of lots of different initiatives that we're going to be launching and um, we're going to um, hopefully have at least one event a month around um, the country for chefs and those will be you know educational and um, informative um, events for chefs whether they'll be you know culinary master classes or visits to food producers um, and so on and again just all about the whole kind of ethos behind Chef Network which is like trying to expand chefs knowledge and skills and get them to kind of collaborate with each other and share ideas with each other so lots of activity kind of regionally around the country um, lots more kind of online content coming on stream in terms of like skills videos and, she- and, and video profiling different chefs um, around the country as well which is really important in terms of kind of you know keeping everyone motivated and seeing for young chefs see the opportunities that are out there for them in in their careers as well um, so yeah and another I suppose, thing that we're going to be doing is launching a gastronomy club where within the kind of membership we'll be asking you know the, the chefs who have who have restaurants or who head up kitchens around the country to kind of host um events once a month where that will give um, other people in the industry um, the opportunity to kind of dine out and um, have those those experiences, you know, maybe on the Mondays or Tuesdays when they're, they're closed or they're quiet, you know, that they can go out to other restaurants and, you know, as well as having a meal, maybe get the opportunity to meet the chef or tour the kitchen. Um, so again, especially for, you know, students and young chefs to kind of have that interaction with other people in the industry and see what's going on and see what kind of trends are happening in the industry. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on its its growth and its success to date. It's really taken off, which is super for the chefs of Ireland. And we wish you all the best with it in 2017. Congratulations again on the fantastic article about food waste. And thanks so much for talking to us tonight. Thanks a million, Sharon. Great talking to you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM.
Welcome back to Second Helpings of the Best Possible Taste, which features previously aired interviews. I'm Sharon Noonan, and if you're just tuning in, you can catch the full show on the podcast, which is on the website SharonNoonan.com, or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We're at the last interview of the show and it's with Georgina Campbell, head of Ireland's leading hospitality guide. Every month, Georgina fills us in with the news about the latest winner of the Board Be It Just Ask campaign. And in this interview, the worthy recipient for December 2016 was Malochny's in Clontarf and the All-Ireland accolade was awarded to West Limerick's very own Restaurant 1826 Adair. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Georgina, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Good evening, Sharon. How are you? I'm great, and I'm very excited about the December winner for the Board Be It Just Ask campaign because there is a bit of a West Limerick connection there. So you better tell us who won it there. Well, the the, the West uh, Limerick uh, connection in this particular case is actually quite tenuous because uh, the winner is a Dublin restaurant. It's Malochny's of uh, Clontarf, uh, but, uh, which is owned by Liam Malochny. Uh, which is, uh, by the way, it's M-O-L-O-U-G-H-N-E-Y, which is important to know if you're looking on for their website, which is malochnies.ie. Uh, it's an unusual spelling. But the head chef there is someone who's very familiar to you, uh, Sharon, uh, is John Fitzmorris, who indeed uh, was uh, formerly in, uh, in West Limerick. And uh, you might like to remember why he was there or what it was that was the connection as far as you're concerned. Well, yes, John has had a huge influence in my life because one night in the mustard seed, he had Yellow Man on the Pity Four menu. And that took me back to my childhood and that secret recipe that was in our family. And as a result of that, I ended up making the the documentary about Devlin's Yellow Man. So um, I have great time for John. I think he's a fantastic young, very young chef so he is he's done so much in in such a short space of time so absolutely thrilled for him to see that he has he's made that move from West Limerick up to Dublin and to a restaurant which is I would describe it as a neighborhood type restaurant yes it is but it, it's a kind of neighborhood uh, restaurant which also is a destination you know people make sure that they fit it in uh, if, if they're going to be anywhere near the area it's a top choice in the area it's, it's a super restaurant and uh, the reason that it's won the, uh, the, the Just Ask restaurant of the month for December is that it, it just it fits the bill so well. As you know, the uh, Just Ask uh, campaign, Bord Beer campaign, is to encourage diners to look for information on where the food plate on their plate comes from. And it celebrates the chefs and the proprietors who highlight their local suppliers on the menus and also you know, it, around when, wherever appropriate in their bars and their restaurants and cafes. So it's uh, particularly on their websites as well. We really like it when you go into a website to have a quick look and decide if that's somewhere you'd like to go. It's really great if you could see that the suppliers are really uh, highlighted uh, you know, and, and are revered. I, I think it's wonderful when you can tell immediately going into a website that the owners and the, and the chef team uh, really have a great respect for their suppliers and they understand that that's the foundation of their food and that no matter how good the cooking if you don't start off with a really good foundation uh, you know you're not going to do anything that's, that's that special and so Malochny's is absolutely perfect in that way you know they have always had it it was the story from the start uh, it was just it, it was it was Liam Malochny's dream always that you know that it would be all about the food and so he, the suppliers have uh, just been uh, an essential uh, part of, of the mix from the very beginning and at the moment um, they have a, a, a confirmation statement on their uh, on their uh, menu which says uh, you know that their meat poultry game and eggs are of Irish origin which is the fundamental and that's really the absolute basic uh, that the Just Ask campaign is looking for uh, but then they go on and they they name their uh, their actual suppliers their individual suppliers and they have people like um, Comer Mountain Lamb, Willie uh, Drohan uh, that actually was one of the Irish Food Writers Guild award winners a few years ago. Uh, very, very highly respected product and a very speciality product uh, coming up from West Waterford. And uh, then they get free-range pork from Clanani Farm in the Knoll in North County, Dublin. Free-range pork is not nearly as easy to get as it should be, and I love to see it on the menu. I think it is such a different product from the run-of-the-mill pork. I mean, it's great to see Irish pork. You know, there would be plenty of places where they'd be using imported pork. 
Uh, but when it's free range, it is just so different. It's a different animal. And of course, it is literally a different animal uh, because the free range pork, you know, is most likely to be also a rare breed. Uh, so you get to, you get the two things. You get the speciality breed, and you also get the free range uh, raising and, uh, and uh, care as well. Um, there's also wild Irish game, which of course at, at this time of year is wonderful. We've only got to the end of January to to enjoy wild Irish game if it's going to be fresh, and uh, it comes to Ballymooney Meats uh, down in uh, County Wicklow, uh, and then also the other meats are supplied by McKenna's of uh, Clontarf. Uh, Omani meats and uh, Tolkaregs also. Uh, these all come with the uh, the beef, pork, uh, poultry, and eggs are all tied up in those suppliers. Uh, and th- the game in particular is, is a great highlight. I absolutely love game, and I think you know we should remember it for the next couple of weeks and enjoy it while we can. And it doesn't stop at the meat and the fresh produce because their gin, their beer, and their cider. They're putting an emphasis on Irish sourced alcohol there as well yes, absolutely and that's that's a growing trend and a very welcome one and uh, in this case they have several they've got uh, dungarvan brewing um eight degrees brewing a super product from um, north cork uh, and franciscan well uh, that also from cork city uh cons irish cider from tipperary uh from the apple farm which is a place that you should always take a diversion to if you're anywhere near care uh it's it's not very far from care um, and it's really worth visiting at any time because they've got a big farm shop there and you can buy their apple juice and they keep their their own apples, they keep them in cold storage and they gradually release them. So there's only a very short period of the year when you can't get them and they sell their other products as well. So it's really worth a detour. And then they have the Dingle Gin and the Blackwater Gin. Uh, the Blackwater Gin is, is a very interesting one uh, from West Waterford. Uh, and it's one of the few which is based on an Irish alcohol. It's not just a flavoured imported alcohol. Um, it's actually the same base as Bertha's Revenge, uh, which comes from um, Ballyvalan House up the road. So uh, that, that's a particularly interesting product. And uh, also, actually, just going back to the, uh, to the uh, food products for a moment, um, there's also a very nice statement about the fish um, at Malochny's. Um, they only use fish that's caught in Irish waters, and it's suppli- supplied by Doran's of Hoth, Kish Fish, and Moran Seafood. Uh, so I think that is a very important thing because you know we're thinking more and more um, about our seas and our rivers, and I think it's it's really important uh, to know exactly where our fish comes from. And do you think that a lot of diners take it for granted that the fish that they're eating when they're out in a restaurant is? sourced in Irish waters? Yes, I'm not sure that they think about uh, fish as much as... I think that, you know, we, we started off thinking about the meat a lot because of the various scandals that there were a few years ago. And people were concerned about the safety uh, of, of eating certain types of meat. Uh, you know, when, when something would happen and it would be in the news, uh, then people think a lot about that. But we haven't really had that kind of incident uh, connected with fish. Uh, which makes people think so unless there's something which is obviously imported uh, like tiger prawns which I do not like to see tiger prawns on the menu I mean we have such wonderful seafood why do we have to bring it in uh, you know it's, it's it's such a shame uh, so unless something like that which is obviously caught you know in warmer climates uh, is on the menu I think people tend to assume uh, that it is uh, not only local but fresh um, I don't think it crosses people's minds very much that it might be frozen. Uh, so it's great to see that there is, you know, a, a statement like this about freshness and about um, provenance. And it, it, it's really important. Uh, and I think that that is something that really should be encouraged. This is one of the aspects of the Board Be a Just Ask initiative that I think is really helping the consumer to think a lot more and to be more aware about where the, the raw ingredients come from. Yes, it is. And in fact, um, in connection with the uh, Board Be a Just Ask restaurant of the year, uh, which also, as you know, has a West Limerick connection, a very close West uh, Limerick connection, um, they did a survey in connection with this and... Uh, because it's that time of year where they really put a focus on the Just Dance programme, starting off again in January. And uh, they said that 62% of Irish people now believe that it's important to support restaurants that use local suppliers. Now, you know, this campaign has been going, what, for nine, ten years now. 
And at the beginning, it would have been a very small proportion of people who thought about it at all. Uh, so in that time, you know, it's really built up uh, in recognition of the importance of, of, of what this campaign is doing. Now, there have been all, all kinds of other things. You know, the, um, these small producers have really increased in numbers uh, during those years. A lot of things have happened um, in the Irish food uh, industry. But it's really, really great to see that that number is growing all the time. Absolutely. And some of the winners then, the, the annual winners, they're restaurants that have a very good reputation that they're still going strong. So just remind us about some of the previous annual winners. Yes, well, they're absolutely fantastic. They really are. I mean, regardless of just us, these are some of the best, the very best establishments in the country. And uh, it's absolutely great. They have decided that, that, that an absolutely key part of their policy um, is to recognise their suppliers and you know, to, to make those the, the absolute key ingredient um, in their restaurants. And uh, just going back uh, over the last few years, um, last year was Rua in Casa Bar, um, the McMahon family, Aaron and Colleen uh, McMahon, brother and sister team there, um, and the, you know the, they they took on the business from their mother Anne, who established it in the 1980s. So right from the 1980s, uh, when that um, business was started, this was a core principle. It was long before Just Ask, and it wasn't stated in that way. Uh, but the principles of Just Ask were in place from the very beginning, and that has continued. And people go from all over the country. Uh, to visit Casabar, to go to Ruhr. There are two, there's a cafe and there's a cafe deli. And uh, it, it's an absolute um, a, a destination place for people who love food. Anywhere in the north, if you're going to be anywhere in the northwest, uh, you know, you won't want to go to that area and not visit Ruhr. It's absolutely fantastic and it's done a huge amount for the reputation for the, in the area. And then the year before that, we had Ben's Key in, uh, in Cork City, Kate Lawler, another Eurotalk chef, and, uh, you know, she's a young chef um, who has taken on ownership of this restaurant in relatively recent years, and uh, she has built up a fantastic uh, reputation there, and she works so hard in the community uh, promoting those principles. So it's not just in her restaurant, it's the same for all of these chefs, actually, and the owners, um, that they they not only uh, promote these ideas in their own restaurants, but they also are tremendously supportive in the area as well. Uh, the year before that, uh, we had Balik Castle. Um, that's uh, just outside Balinar. Wonderful place. Um, quite a very interesting property. Not big. Sounds big, but it's, it's not a big property, but it's very interesting. And the chef, uh, Stephen Lenehan, uh, who um, was really at, at the centre of the uh, of the award, just asked uh, a restaurant of the year award in uh, 2014, he had actually been there for 10 years at that time. Uh, but this uh, award came out of the blue and he ran with it. He was absolutely thrilled with the award. And I think it's been uh, one of the several stepping stones which has really brought on Balik Castle. Uh, it's a tremendous destination and it's actually gone into the blue book this year. And I think that, you know, that, that uh, Just Ask success was one of the things uh, which helped it to move on to that stage. They've done a lot of renovations as well over the last year or two. And it, it's, it's a brilliant destination. It's very interesting. And, you know, it's not actually that well known. I think the name is a little confusing because people um, connect Balik uh, with a different area entirely um, further north. And um, I think, you know, it's an interesting thing. But the, uh, the one before that um, in 2013 was Ard in Galway. Again, I mean, a, a restaurant which, you know, from the very first day of opening has always been all about local food. And it's a very arty, crafty sort of a place as well. So you, you really get a sense of the region when you eat there. It's, it's a wonderful place. And the year before that uh, was Farmgate Cafe in Cork. And, of course, anyone who's ever been to the English market in Cork will understand what Farmgate Cafe is all about. You know, again, it's been like that, you know, since the 80s um, when it was first opened. And, it you know, it, it, it's always been all about the market so, you know, they will go down and they'll get their ingredients of the day from the market and they only have to carry them up the stairs to cook them. And not only that, but they focus on the kind of uh, now unusual traditional dishes uh, which are not found very much elsewhere. 
so that you'll find the unusual sort of ingredients like tripe and dracine, things like that, which are sold in the, in the English market, which you'll hardly find anywhere in Ireland anymore in the butchers. And yet they'll be on the menu in the Farmgate Cafe, along with some more modern dishes as well, of course. Uh, but it's uh, those sort of places, they're absolutely inspirational. There's a sense of longevity here as well about these places that they're obviously doing something right, that they're still going strong in a time where it has been quite challenging for the restaurant industry. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. And I, th- I think uh, the, 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 other, the linking factor that they have here is that um, this um, dedication to their, uh, their suppliers and their, their uh, respect for their producers and, and, and the foods, the basic, basic foods, uh, that we produce so well in Ireland is absolutely fundamental to what they do. It's not just an add-on. It's not something which is just fashionable to do at the moment. Uh, it's something which is absolutely a key part of their philosophy. And I think that's why they've lasted, uh, because they never budge from that. And I think they get huge support because of that. How do you identify each month where you're going to go and visit? Do you go and visit a few places each month and then decide which one is is worthy uh, of the well, title. No, no uh, the way that it works, this is actually a menu competition as opposed to review competition. Uh, so we don't necessarily visit the, uh, the restaurant uh, which is selected as the Just Dance Restaurant of the Month in that month at all. Um, I mean, it could have been visited the, the month before or six months before or whatever, but uh, it, the, the uh, selection is made on how they present their menus. So it's the menu that you see in the restaurant it's the menu that you see online and perhaps on their Facebook page and things like that. And it's to do with how they present their relationship with their suppliers, their philosophy of food. So we want to see that statement about the, the, all of the meats being Irish, for example, uh, and that, you know, that's fundamental to it. And then we want to see as much information as possible about the suppliers and you know, th- that how they fit in uh, to, to the way that that restaurant is run. And that, that's what it's all about. Now, we know from visiting the restaurant, many of these restaurants, you know, we've visited regularly for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, so we know uh, that these are genuine. And you could tell anyway, just to look at what they say, uh, that they are genuine. But they don't have to be an old restaurant. Uh, I mean, we have had quite recently, for example, Le Pain Quotidien in uh, Kildare, which is a new restaurant. And it's what's more, it's part of a chain. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's a different kind of thing. But it will, of course, have been visited, but it, we don't visit it specifically um, to test it for the Just Ask. I went to Le Pan Quotidien on one of my travels north there recently because of your recommendation and I can I can also recommend it now I haven't been there I had the, the tartine because you were talking about yeah, the tartine yeah. I had the avocado tartine and it, it was delicious just perfect for the post Christmas to kind of minimise the continuing bulge that is coming there <laughs> Oh yeah well we'll forget about the bulge <laughs> until about March I think I know, yeah. <laughs> All right, Georgina, listen, that's fantastic. All of these restaurants, there's a map there on the Board Bia website, isn't yes, there? Yes, there is indeed. But, of course, don't forget our, our, uh, our uh, restaurant of the year. I just asked restaurant of the year, which is the, uh, the, the one which is very uh, close to you in West Limerick, the 1826 Adair. And uh, we did talk about it briefly earlier in the year because it was, of course, one of the, uh, one of the, the Just Ask Restaurants of the Month during uh, uh, 2016. Uh, but it's now uh, the restaurant of the year for this year. And um, it is absolutely a superb uh, example of everything uh, that Just Ask is all about. Uh, you know, uh, the, the owners, um, Wade and uh, Elaine Murphy, um, are absolutely committed. Uh, Wade, of course, is very um, is a very key member of, of Eurotalk Island and is committed absolutely to supporting uh, small producers and suppliers and it, again, it's absolutely fundamental to their uh, philosophy uh, that they do everything right in this regard and that they give due credit uh, to their wonderful suppliers. So that is, it is, uh, in all of these cases, it's a real philosophy. And, uh, you know, uh, Wade mentions a, a large number of, of suppliers. And also, uh, he mentions there's a particular point uh, in his statement about the beef, lamb, pork and chicken which is the, the key statement. And uh, he says, 
Uh, not only that it's Irish, he says that it's born, reared and slaughtered in Ireland. And, you know, that is so important that you can see the whole chain uh, there, that it's, uh, you know, that it, sometimes uh, you might buy meat and, you know, it, it is uh, Irish in, in one sense. You know, perhaps it has been raised in Ireland and slaughtered in Ireland, but it may, with the chicken in particular, may have been imported, um, you know, as a day-old chick. Uh, so I do think it's very important that you can see this whole uh, chain on that statement. And I think that's something which other uh, other restaurants might think about. Um, and then another thing is that, again, he mentions free-range pork. And the lamb, again, in this case, is, is, is hill lamb. In this case, it's from Kerry, Kerry hill lamb. Uh, so, you know, this detail here, which is interesting. The chicken is pasture-reared. Uh, so it comes from the friendly farmer in Athen Rye. And again, there's detail there. It's not just Irish chicken, but it's there's something very specific about the way uh, that it has been um, looked after, it's cared for during it, during its uh, life and and its end. And he also uh, gives very um, high priority to vegetarian options and the produce that's used in the vegetarian uh, dishes. And uh, you know, he no- he mentions the Bally Salad, the Little Green Company. And Clancy Lewis, all of them are, are Limerick uh, producers, and then it, the mushrooms also from Ballyharrow Mushrooms, uh, the Mountain Mountain Mushroom Company in County Cork. So you know, I think there's a great balance there, but there's also a great depth of philosophy, which is great to see. Yeah, we're very lucky to have it just down the road there. So we are, and um, the mustard seed. And there's uh, there's a couple of new places opening up now in 2017 that we'll have to keep you posted about, and you oh, might come down and great. visit us and, and go to them soon. Fantastic, yes. Oh, no, we're, we're always interested to hear about new places. Uh, so, you know, anyone who knows anywhere that's really good and that has, you know, this correct philosophy of food, uh, we're very interested to hear about that. Don't forget about the map. Yes. Of course, yeah. And the map is on the Bordbia website. Yes. That's the best place to direct people. That's right, bordbia.ie. Thanks a million for telling us all about that this evening, Georgina, and we will talk to you again next month. Thank you very much, Sharon. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sadly, that brings us to the end of Second Helpings of the Best Possible Taste. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Rachel Keeley, Ruth Hegarty and Georgina Campbell. And if you would like to catch up on other Best Possible Taste programmes, be sure to log on to the podcast on SharonNoonan.com. Thanks so much for your company and until next time, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!